Hello, I'm Arnold Hamilton, editor of the Oklahoma Observer. And I'm Marianne Martin. And this is Observer Cast, your weekly deep dive into Oklahoma politics and policy. Presented by the Mary Lou Lemon Foundation. More than a century after marauding whites leveled North Tulsa's Greenwood District, killing at least 300 people for no other reason than the color of their skin, Oklahoma's white-dominated political leadership still resists atoning for an ugly past. It is true that Tulsa is now at least investigating evidence of mass graves, but when it comes to doing anything to acknowledge that wiping out an entire community yielded profound consequences for generations to come, well, let's just say the resistance remains as fierce as ever. City and state officials, in effect, are playing out the clock on ever making things right for those who survived the carnage. When October began, three who escaped with their lives in 1921 were still with us. A little more than a week into October, Only two are left after the death of Hughes Van Ellis at age 102. The two still living hope to see justice in their lifetimes. But that hope was dealt a setback in early July when Tulsa County District Judge Caroline Wall dismissed with prejudice a lawsuit trying to force the city and others to make recompense for the destruction of the once thriving area known nationally as Black Wall Street. Thankfully, the state Supreme Court has agreed to hear an appeal of Wald's decision. Other places, however, are coming to grips with white-dominated abuse of Black Americans. A most recent example, Evanston, Illinois, just north of Chicago, launched a first-of-its-kind program in 2019 in which it committed $10 million to Black Evanston residents for reparations for discrimination and a lack of access to housing. It also is working on programs to address gaps in education and economic development. Yet Oklahoma resists. The Tulsa Regional Regional Chamber argues the massacre was horrible, yes, but the nuisance it caused is not ongoing. The state refuses to acknowledge any responsibility, even though National Guard members allegedly participated in the attack rather than protect residents of the Greenwood District. And just this month, victims brought their case for reparations to the state capitol for the first time, thanks to an interim study pursued by State Representative Regina Goodwin, whose family survived the carnage. Goodwin, who's now in her fourth term representing the area once hailed as nationally as Black Wall Street, joins us for this week's Observer Cast to discuss the issues, where things stand, how the massacre still affects the lives of North Tulsa residents today, what's next, and what should be done for Oklahoma and Tulsa to own up to one of the darkest days in their history. So, uh, Representative Goodwin, it is so great to have you here today, although, you know, not necessarily for the topic that we're talking about, um, but just uh, take a minute to uh, tell us, you know, who you are and what you do and your connection to your district. Yeah, I'm Regina Goodwin. Um, I'm a House District 73 state representative, Tulsa, Oklahoma. 
And uh, if you want to know a bit about the district, it's the best district in Tulsa. It's <laughs> a very diverse. It is um, uh, full of folks that are very committed to making Tulsa better. And, um, and that's who we are. And then we have to deal certainly with the challenges in Oklahoma and in America. However, uh, we keep pressing forward. Well, and you have obviously historical ties to the topic of the day because your family survived the, the race massacre mm -hmm. back in 1920. And, and in fact, have are kind of the star of this book that you uh, uh, called uh, "Built from the Fire," which is a wonderful book that I recommend to everybody. And it was a it was a page turner, Regina. You you pointed me toward remember at the state Democratic convention and yes, great book. Thank thank you for saying that. And I Victor Lucerson is absolutely brilliant, uh, young author. Uh, one of the best research, the best research book that we've seen. And certainly wouldn't say that we were the star, but certainly we stand on the shoulders of so many that have gone before us, truly. And um, you're right, I, I am blessed to represent the Greenwood District. I'm a descendant of race massacre survivors. Um, and um, even as we think about the passing of Mr. Hughes Van Ellis, you know, also um, my great grandmother was Carly Marie Goodwin, my great-grandfather was James Henry Goodwin. Built from the Fire is the, the best research book that I've seen, that I've read, and uh, Victor Lucerson is a brilliant, young, uh, gifted researcher and writer. And, uh, I, you know, you all spoke of uh, the Goodwin family perhaps being stars in the book. I, I absolutely know there's so many families in that book that were covered and, and absolutely privileged to be in the book. Uh, and by, by the way, I tell everybody this, we didn't get a penny from that book for anybody thinks that I'm hawking the book. That's not the case. I just know that it's, it's a, you can learn a lot about the, the Greenwood history. And I was also gonna say as it relates to Mr. Ellis passing away that many, many survivors before him had passed away. It's my great grandfather, James Henry, great grandmother, Carly Marie Goodwin, uh, my grandfather, Ed Goodwin Sr. Um, my great aunt, Anna Carroll, all of these folks did not see justice. And my great grandmother had gone down to the courthouse um, in 1921, 1922, and, and she never got uh, her day in court and she was rejected outright. So you go from that all the way to Mr. Ellis and you still see somehow Oklahoma cannot square uh, with, with being fair and doing the right um, thing. Uh, justice is still deserved and we have to pursue it. And again, as I said, Mr. Hughes Van Ellis told us two days before his passing, keep pressing for justice. And we had an interim study here at the Capitol on last Thursday, and he really wanted to be here. So mm -hmm. uh, his sister came and Miss uh, Randall, they were here present along with other descendants. And we still had a dynamic interim study and he was fully aware and wanted us to keep pressing forward. So that's, that's what we're doing. So, um, I'm curious first, what what about this book is uh, stands out to you as kind of sets it apart from the rest that's been written about the Tulsa Race Massacre? Well, number one, it went beyond the massacre. It provided really substantial and consequential history 
uh, before we got to the 1921 race massacre, it certainly talks about the Indian Allotment Act. It talked about, um, you know, the, the, the number of acres that Black folks in particular actually had acquired, right? So when you think about wealth and how did we have such a unique situation in Tulsa, Oklahoma, um, in Indian Territory, as it was called, and, uh, uh, and then we became a state. All of that's in the book, but also Victor takes us from there all the way to 2023. Mm. And very few books do that. And uh, very few books also talk about not only the incident, but he talks about the people. Miss Lula Williams was someone who was a foremost businesswoman as related to the Dreamland Theater. And in that day, a lot of times, just because of the culture, the customs, you know, men folk typically were making decisions and being the business folks, but she let it be known in court that what property she owned as related to the Dreamland Theater and that she actually was running that business and she wanted that to be known. And while she had one of the most successful businesses after the race massacre, she also had mental health challenges, right? A lot of folks don't know that, right? And um, we hear about the deaths, we hear about businesses being burned, but what about those legacies? What about those lives that were so damaged that your mental health was affected? And so he talks about that in his book. He, he touches on, on uh, just the humanity and the flaws that we all have and the challenges we have and, and uh, the emotional distress that was caused by the massacre. So he touches on a number of, of I think, really important issues in his book. And I, I think that's why it stands out. One, he goes, he predates 1921, he goes all the way to 2023, and he shows us about policy that affects many cities across the country, a lot of, that was not just unique to Tulsa. So I like the way he tied that in. So there's so much I could talk about when it comes to that book. You know, I, I just, I can't help but think, I, I'm still- Wait, hold on, think. you guys. Say that again, I'm listening. No, that's all right. Uh, you know, what is it about Oklahoma that we can't, we just can't seem to come to grips with our past in yeah. these, you know, there are other places, the, yeah. the, the Evanston, Illinois example is a, to me, a great example, you know, what was it, four years ago, yeah. they committed $10 million right. uh, to folks who, right. you know, to for reparations for folks who uh, in, endured discrimination and housing issues. And yeah. I mean, it, it, they weren't wiped off the, you know, the face of the earth like Greenwood was. Yeah. But, um, and yet, you know, they seem to be able to do those things with the obvious recognition that this set in motion a legacy. It, it created a legacy of, of issues. And you mentioned mental health issues obviously uh, economic issues, all those sorts of things for generations to come that still leave a lot of folks right. of, of that historic part of Tulsa behind the curve. Right, right. And and you know what, and we did an interim study, like I say, on Thursday. And I, I really would, if you have not had a chance to see it, I invite you to watch it. It's a, it was a three hour interim study that we had on Thursday. And, um, you know, we talked about Rosewood. Rosewood was one of the first areas, Rosewood, Florida. We had a representative from Rosewood. We talked about the Bruce's Beach 
uh, situation in California where there was property that had been seized and the county and the state worked together and that property was returned to the family. Uh, several, several solutions uh, that have, when folks have worked in a collaborative fashion, it, it, it has worked. And your, your question to what is it about Oklahoma uh, that does not really want to um, acknowledge um, what has happened on the state level, on the county level, on the city level? Um, what we did do in the interim study for anybody just this year, when you ask what is it about Oklahoma, when we have elected officials just this year in 2023, as I'm walking in this building, would say to me, well, I just don't think that the National Guard meant to hurt anybody. That was said to me in 2023. Someone also said to me, um, well, you know, how, how do you know racism had to do with the race massacre of 1921? And uh, what I wanted to do is establish in that interim study the facts. Some of these facts have been on record for 100 years. Uh, the National Guard in their own military report they talked about the wrong that the National Guard had done. It's not about us guessing. It's not just about that they didn't provide protection for many. Some did, but many didn't. And not only did they not provide protection, but they actually killed people, right? So that's documented. And the inability of some Oklahomans to, to just stay in a state of denial um, at the highest levels uh, says to me that there's, they're more concerned about money. They're more concerned about cash uh, than they are about a conscience. And that has been going on for 102 years because it's simply a matter of, you know, we know what happened. And, and then you want to deny the details or who's culpable. Uh, what we did do in that interim study, <clears throat> we made it very clear that the state is culpable, that the state is complicit. Uh, the state owes uh, these um, survivors and their descendants. And guess what? It was recommended by a state-sanctioned commission 22 years ago at the Oklahoma State Capitol. Uh, their own report said, hey, this is what we recommend. We recommend that you give direct compensation to the survivors and descendants. We recommend that there be economic development. We recommend that there be a scholarship. We recommend that should remains be found in excavation of mass graves, that there be a memorial and proper burial. All of that was recommended. We were just saying, hey, where are we on these recommendations? And when you ask, what is it about Oklahoma that cannot have a day of reckoning? I think it has to do, quite frankly, with the very folks that they think the more they ignore it, uh, the better off we all are. They have been ignoring it for 102 years. They have been denying it for 102 years. And they have literally, folks have said to me, well, listen, um, you know, if we admit um, that there was wrongdoing, if we admit that we're culpable, uh, where does it stop? How much money would we have to pay? And, and, and then it's an endless amount of payouts we'd have to do. That has been told to me. So this is the question. Um, if you were to reverse um, the situation, and if many of these folks' as relatives had been um, burned out of their homes, uh, relatives murdered, uh, generational wealth lost, uh, treated less than human, bodies, mothers and fathers, babies discarded like trash. I think they would be able to understand from a different perspective if it had happened to them. 
but it hasn't. And, um, and because of that, they're able to shut that part of themselves off. But when they do that, I still say, you know, um, Mr. Ellis died in his sleep, right? But he died on the right side of history and he died knowing um, that he was deserving of justice. He was able to die in his sleep for all of these other folks that continue to deny this history, that continue to die, deny the survivors. Uh, the question is, if, if you are able to sleep, um, at night, um, what kind of God do you serve? And um, and there is a higher court and a higher judge, and I do believe in that, as do these survivors, and that's where we are. But in the meantime, we're going to keep pressing. We're keep pressing forward because you you don't have a statute of limitations on right and wrong. You don't have a statute of limitations on what this legislative body can do, as they did in Florida. Uh, as the state and county did in California, those folks are just willing to get together and do the right thing. So while we have this lawsuit that's ongoing, I'm saying it's an and, and. We can do that as it relates to abating a public nuisance, but also we can provide direct victims uh, compensation. It's just a matter of wanting to do it. And right now, there is not the collective will. So when you ask, what is it about Oklahoma? God knows and those folks know. And right now they have a chance to get it right. I, I can tell you that, um, again, Mr. Ellis died in a sleep. Uh, I sleep well at night because I'm trying to do the right thing. And that's the question. You know what? I would love for you to ask those folks that question that exists within uh, this capital, that exists within our city, exists within the county. I'd love you to ask, ask them that question. But I'm telling you, those are some of the comments that I heard just in 2023. Well, I don't think the National Guard meant to hurt anybody. Based on what? Right. And, and when I wanted them to read the documents, when I wanted them to read the reports, they still didn't do it. I went to them back to them a month later, said, hey, that that information that I shared with you, did you get a chance to read it? And they're like, no. So not only are they not willing to be accountable, they're not even willing to be educated, more educated on the issue. What they do know is that it, that it happened. They know that. So, um to you know touch back on your interim study um now that we have a gloriously smooth internet connection <laughs> thanks to montana montana had a bright idea yeah <laughs> thanks to montana i sat you're... up here too man i feel like at the movie theater <laughs> um you know uh tell us uh I, i'm looking back through some news reports on it up in the tulsa area but you know, you're looking at, um, you know, the 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 findings of the commission and a follow up of the the commission. But you know, what were some of the key takeaways uh, from your interim study and things that we should learn from and continue to push forward on? Well, the beautiful, I thought it was beautiful that we had original commission members from 22 years ago that sent in an, an interim study, and I was able to ask them, what was your mission? What was your purpose 22 years ago? Uh, what did you set out to accomplish? They said, we set out to accomplish and find the truth. And they were able to share that 22 years later, some of the information that we shared on Thursday, they were not privy to 22 years ago. Uh, they knew uh, about the National Guard's involvement, but some of the documents they actually got to see for themselves. And, and they said to me that for them, it, it made an even more complete picture uh, when folks back then were still trying to deny the culpability of the National Guard. So they felt vindicated. Uh, that was their push. Those were their recommendations. They knew that they had facts then. 
but it's just like, you know, um, that's a takeaway for me that facts were provided and we will bring to, together people that since that time have done something in other states. 22 years ago, uh, that had not happened as it related to Illinois, as it related to California. Uh, Rosewood, Florida had happened. That was a great precedent, a great marker. So those were takeaways for me. Tremendous people. We had legal teams. We had folks that were actually had worked with Charles Ogletree. Charles Ogletree has passed on. He was the attorney that was fighting uh, in, in the 2000s for the survivors, right? He's passed on. Survivors are passed on. But people that worked with him are still with us. And I keep saying this, as much as folks want the survivors to die off, for us to die off, as long as people are being born, for generations unborn, there's still going to be a pursuit of justice because there is no time constraint. There, there are no, there's no limitation as it relates to justice. That's what this comes down to. So uh, those are all takeaways that we're going to keep pressing on. And we had a tremendous group. And I know a number of people had come to me and said uh, they learned a lot. Um, they understood more uh, why we are so dogged about this issue. And it's, it's real simple. James Baldwin once said, and we talked to white folks in particular who have been wronged about something, right? If you ask them, how long would you wait for your justice? I don't think the answer is going to be 102 years. It's never mm -hmm. been 102 years. Mm -hmm. Well, so do you, take, do you take heart in the fact that the state Supreme Court at least is reconsidering Judge Wall's decision? Well, first of all, um, the the decision on Judge Walls, uh, once she she spoke to the fact that that was going to be continued there in Tulsa, right? The year prior, she had pretty much given the go ahead that 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 case was going to be heard. I don't understand uh, her decision. I don't think it was right. And then as you talk about the Oklahoma Supreme Court again, um, why does it take so long? You know, you're dealing with folks that are 109, 108. And um, it, it's really, really, um, I think, I, I can't say that I take heart in it. What I can say is that justice is way overdue and, and I can only hope, uh, should God see fit, that this Oklahoma Supreme Court uh, move in the right direction. Because I always say it's gonna take an act of God because people have not acted properly in the last 102 years. So we need uh, God to nudge some folks in the right direction. Well, and it sure seems like, uh, you know, the, the, the hand-wringing about how the state could afford to do something like this, <laughs> that's really not an issue right now in Oklahoma. You know what? We're sitting on $4 billion. We wanted to give some $900 million to Panasonic just to lure them to come to Oklahoma. And, and that's, you know what? I had when you have folks all up and down the hallway, oh, let's help Panasonic out. Let's help Panasonic out, right? But when you talk about people, not an industry, we talk about people that have come to the Capitol, 109, 108, um, uh, at once time, 102, we can't seem to have a collaborative spirit about that. You got to ask yourself, what what is going on in Oklahoma for sure? Well, I just, I just question, you know, like, it's just one more thing that we could take care of and they just choose not to. No, no question about it. Other folks have done it. 
Uh, and then you have, you really, I've always said you have to have the right hearts and minds um, to, to, to pass the right policy for sure. But it, it all starts with a, a willingness to, to do right. And that's what it comes down to. Tell me, tell me, anybody that brings up, whoa, that's a lot of money. We haven't, you know what? We haven't even gotten to that place of talking about what that looks like. But again, I think $900 million that's going to Panasonic, if, if you all have voted, una not unanimously, but both houses passed it. Again, we're talking about a corporation. Well, about, it, yeah. it, it's a reminder to me, and this is this is the age old problem with the Oklahoma legislature. And it's actually, it's not unique to the Oklahoma legislature. I've covered the Texas legislature and the California legislature, and I've seen it lots of places. There's a tendency to know or to fixate on the cost of things to know the cost of everything, but the value of nothing. Yeah. And this is an opportunity to take, it's probably not going to be a huge amount of money. I don't know. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I don't know enough to know, but mm -hmm. in, in the great scheme of where Oklahoma sits today, but that investment might be huge over the coming generations for folks who have been left behind through no fault of their own for generations now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I see it absolutely as number one, when you, when you do right, right, good comes from doing right. And these are such basic principles. And, and it, it really, it makes you wonder when we talk about people having faith in God in Oklahoma, and we pray every day at the Capitol, and, and we rely supposedly on our best selves to come to this Capitol. How do you do that, right? And and what kind of God are we serving that would not want to see justice done? And somehow there's a disconnect between what folks say and what folks do. And uh, absolutely, you talk about the generational wealth. You talk about just the good faith that would would resonate just from that simple act. And, and so I don't know why people don't see that, but I do know, I do know this, that you know, when folks talk about it costs too much, we use tax dollars as it was explained in the interim study when it comes to the Japanese, when it comes to the Native Americans, when it comes to what happened uh, with uh, um, uh, uh, the Jewish population and the Germans. It was, these are historical and very significant uh, issues of reparations that have been addressed at the very least addressed. And somehow when it comes to the African-American population, we can't have that same heart. Folks need to ask themselves that because that's what we're dealing with. And, uh, you know, you, you, you brought up the points. You made it very clear. Uh, you asked, why not Oklahoma? Uh, we've been asking that question for 102 years. And um, I also think, you know, the text that I get on, on, you know, when folks text me these messages about so sorry, our condolences and Mr. Hughes and Alice, the question is, what did you really do when he was living to advance this cause, right? Because after you say, I'm sorry, then what more can you do? And, and that's, that's what this comes down to. A lot of good citizens uh, sit by in silence and then they want to offer condolences. And I'm saying we need to do more. So how do you get this across the finish line? I think 
I think quite frankly, uh, we are in a capital um, um, where there's a supermajority and uh, we get it across the finish line when people decide to do right. And, and can there be folks that are just choose to be accountable? When folks choose to be accountable, when folks choose to see these uh, descendants and these survivors as human, uh, when they will no longer say, well, I don't know what the state had to do with it. You know, all of those people that did that, they're all dead now. Now the entities, the entities that were complicit, the state, the county, the city, they still exist. And so uh, beyond individuals, there, there was um, policy, there was law. Uh, folks use their positions of power to literally destroy a community. Um, so I, I, I invite anybody to tell me where what we're saying is not factual. Now you might say it, but you're not gonna be able to prove it. No, for again, for all the folks that don't say, oh, just get over it. We don't owe you anything. I, you know, you're going way back a hundred years ago. Well, again, we go back a hundred years ago because for a hundred years, you continue to be in denial. You continue to refuse to do right. And again, don't know too many folks, really, black, white, red, yellow. I don't know too many folks that are going to say they're okay with being treated unjustly. I find it just, uh, it speaks volumes to me that for the folks who came to the Capitol for your interim study, that was the first time they had been given the opportunity to make their case in effect at the state Capitol. Mind you, I've been asking to do this interim study before. This wasn't my first request. I'm usually denied. So I appreciate uh, the opportunity to have that interim study here. Uh, it could have been done uh, years ago. But um, actually, last year, uh, the speaker actually went on television and said he denied my interim study because it had been done before. Uh, that was absolutely untrue. We have never had an update on the recommendations from 22 years ago. And I tried to explain that to him. Uh, and then this year, uh, we were allowed to have it. So it just so happens it happened four days before Mr. Ellis passed away. Um, but we did have it. It was very productive in terms of information that was provided. And Attorney Eric Miller uh, was absolutely brilliant. I mean, again, if folks look at that, um, Dreesen Heath, we had some really um, powerful folks that do this across the world in terms of their commitment, in terms of their, their, their knowledge base. And they were here at the Capitol, uh, really. We, so many folks, you know, you guys, if I start naming names, it, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to get in trouble. Uh, but they were, they were here. Uh, I'm messing up because I started naming names, but. Uh, oh, my gosh. But again, the original commission folks were here. That that speaks volumes. Uh, Jim Goodwin, an attorney, uh, attorney Demario Solomon Simmons, Dr. Tiffany Crutcher, Dr. Vivian Clark Adams, uh, Dr. Jim, uh, attorney Jim Lloyd. I, I'm a messing up, but anyway, so many people. Uh, Mr. Jimmy White, um, you know, Chief Amasan, uh, Christie, uh, Victor Lucerson participated. Uh, I know I'm leaving somebody out. Uh, Ms. Dupree from Rosewood, um, Senator Bradford and, and Holly Mitchell out of California. I know I'm missing somebody, just forgive me, but we had a tremendous, tremendous group of folks that um, participated. 
So what can our our folks who might be listening to this or who okay. are observer readers do to help move this thing forward? I'm, here's the deal. You know, we 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 had do, uh, Dr. Placido from the Oklahoma State Regents as related to this scholarship. And we know uh, with with Mr. Uh, Representative Don Ross, Senator Horner, uh, years ago, they established this scholarship out of the recommendations. Uh, difficulty was we were not moving along at the pace we should have been. He wanted 300 students a year. In 20 years, we have not given out 300 scholarships in 20 years, okay? And, and we're shining a light on that. And what folks can do is say, hey, you guys, um, let's do right. Let's move along further and faster. And, and, and call the Capitol and say, what can we do in good faith measure? What can we do that says, actually, we do care, uh, actually, Oklahoma is, is comprised of all kinds of wonderful folks. And let's not let the rest of the world, if we want to be a top 10 state, how about we be top 10 and, 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 and being decent and, and showing that we're all human and that we all are deserving of justice. I'd love to be top 10 in that. And right now we can start in this building and uh, it's just a matter of uh, elected officials saying, guess what? We got a 109 year old, 108 year old uh, that we need to do right, right. Look, they were down in, in in Florida. I think they only had nine folks left, right? We're down to two. And that was in 1994. So if folks are just waiting for people to die off, again, again, descendants are, are being born every day and, and let's do right. I, I'd ask you all, you know, uh, you know, for, for the people that, that's the question I think for, for your, for your listeners to call to the Capitol and say, hey, what can we do? Who can we encourage? You know, talk to the governor, talk to our, our speaker, our, our, you know, and say, this is something we can get right. We really can. And, and ask them to tell you why we don't want to tackle this because it surely couldn't be the money. I mean, it, it's really perplexing, you know, like what more, what more needs should, should be said to convince them to follow through and to follow up on this, you know? And, and is it even a matter of what should be said because this, this evidence, this, um, right. I mean, like it's been it's, laid out for a hundred years. Huh? Yeah, it's time to do. It's not time to say. Right. I don't want no no more conversations. They did that 22 years ago. Uh, to the credit of the Oklahoma State Legislature, 22 years ago, they they convened uh, this commission. Uh, they sanctioned it. They allowed them for years to come up with the information. And so that's something the Oklahoma State Legislature they got that right. But what have we done with that information? We've made some movement on the the scholarship. Yes. I appreciate 1.5 million for the first time that was provided last year for the scholarship. Uh, again, um, you know, it is a small amount if you can only help so many students, right? Because uh, that's in a trust and it's only the money's, the interest is generated, right? Once you invest that money, it's those earnings. That's how the scholarship is funded. So right now we're not able to help that many students, maybe 20 students a year. Uh, but it's an improvement from where we were, but we got to do more. We got to do more. So I got to ask you all the question. What would you all do to convince your neighbor 
uh, that this is the right thing to do? What that's what I'm asking. What what would you all say? Because really, it's it's an appeal to the heart. It's an appeal to folks how, how they're thinking. And uh, right now, right now, all I hear folks say is, "Get over it." That happened a hundred years ago. We don't owe you anything. What about the Irish and the potato famine? You know, they went through tragedy. Again, the potato famine was a natural situation in terms of environment. <laughs> you know, this is what policy and folks that abused law enforcement, uh, this was a city, this was a state, this was a county um, inflicted. Uh, a tragedy uh, that really marshaled and deputized white mobs, racist mobs to destroy folks just because they were black. And um, and also land was an issue and property was an issue, no question. Uh, but that's what was going on in that situation. So for people, they're talking about what are we up with the hurricanes and the tornadoes and people, stuff happens. No, you had to, that was planned. That was orchestrated. That was very much um, an assault on a community, an attack on a community. Um, so, so there, there's there's the difference. One one is human influenced. Uh, the other comes from nature, and oftentimes um, uh, we need to know the difference. Because I've heard that I've heard that about some of these other incidents that happen to to people, um, and and tax dollars always come into play, by the way, when there's some kind of tragedy, we always get emergency funds. We always see what we can do to, to um, abate a situation. And, and so there's no reason why we would not use our tax dollars to remedy these situations as has happened in other, in other situations, right? Um, you think so I, that's my question, you guys, because, you know, we've been talking about this. We haven't, but People before us have been talking about this for 102 years. So what is it? What is it about human nature that does not see other folks as fully human and deserving of justice? What is that? If, if, if I had the answer to that, you know, I could probably help change a lot of things. I, you know, I can't help but wonder in Oklahoma, uh, we all grew up here, all three of us on this conversation grew up here. I can tell you, I never heard about this incident until I was, you know, in my 40s. Mm -hmm. And I was stunned. We, it wasn't called the race massacre then, which is obviously a much more accurate description. It was called the Tulsa race riot. Right. And now, now let's pause there. Let's pause there. We know why it was called the riot, because sure. you had these insurance clauses uh, that basically had it been a riot, then then they do not have to honor the claims. So that was written. Right. And and I can tell you there were folks in 1921 that referred to it as a massacre. This isn't a new term. They referred to it as a massacre. Then it's just that the exclusionary clauses and some of these insurance uh, policies uh, spoke specifically to riot. And so it was very convenient to just try to dismiss uh, those claims. So we are very much, um, we say, uh, we're committed to saying it was a massacre because that's what it is at the very least. But but the fact that 
generations of Oklahomans didn't really even know this happened. Mm -hmm. You know, I think uh, that may be slowing this process. Let me ask you this. Uh, we knew there was a conspiracy of silence. It's been talked about. Uh, we knew that murderers were still walking on the streets in 1921, 22, 23, and folks had seen their relatives murdered. Uh, they saw that law enforcement didn't do anything about it. No one was ever charged. Nobody was ever convicted. So we understood that uh, just to preserve your own life, you didn't really talk about it, uh, particularly if you were Black. Those that were courageous enough to do so, they went to the courts, they uh, spoke out, but they were denied outright. So that being understood, right, everybody knew that it happened. Isn't it funny that the folks that were affected, those descendants want to come forward and say I'm a descendant, but the perpetrators, have you seen any descendants of perpetrators come forward? <laughs> right? So everybody knows this happened, right? And when you talk about a conspiracy or silence that folks didn't know about it, they knew about it. They chose not to talk about it again. There's a difference in not knowing and there's another difference in concealing. Right. So people knew. I'm not going to say they were ignorant to the fact they knew it. They lived it. They breathed it. They walked through this community. Again, they knew that that what they had done was a crime and they didn't want to be get caught. So they didn't talk about it. The other folks on the other side didn't want to get killed for talking about it. Well, the best thing I think we can do right now is continue to talk about it. And talk about no, 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 no. We can't just keep talking about it now. We 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 well, talked about it enough. But no, I agree with you. I I agree with you on that. What I'm saying though is continue to shine a light on this and to try to get more people to understand right. what really happened here, in order to pressure the folks who are the decision makers, the deciders on this thing, okay. to do the right thing. Okay, and we have solutions. So we've offered solutions, right? Uh, we've offered solutions in terms of scholarships. You know, folks have even talked about those that are descendants. Shinati, you know, when it comes to tuition, tuition waivers, uh, we've talked about as relates to direct victims compensation for survivors and descendants. We have solutions. Certainly, they've talked about tax credits and they've talked about housing and understand the difference between policy and and reparations right reparations is it means to repair policy is what we're supposed to be doing as elected officials anyway so you got to do that and then some if you're going to make amends and atone for uh, the devastation and the murder that happened then right so that we got to understand the difference but there are solutions that have been put forward for generations literally so we're not short on solutions and the beautiful um um i think it's beautiful that we see other cities and states and people actually implementing solutions, right? So we're beyond the talking stage. What it is, I think, is let's look at the policies, let's look at what is doable, and, and let's commit to doing something uh, uh, that is concrete, tangible, and meaningful, right? Not some token, oh, we're gonna put up a sign, um, you, know, you know, this is the Greenwood District, okay. Uh, none, none, nothing symbolic. Let's do something real and tangible, and and that's so that's what we need to be about, right? Committed to action and a timetable, and then let's do it. And I need your help to tell your listeners <laughs> uh, to call the Capitol and say, what can we do about this? If we're really, you know, you talk about the Oklahoma standard. 
what better than we talk about what is just and what is right and doing right by your neighbor. Well, Marianne, I, I, I believe we've kept Representative Goodwin twice as long as we were supposed to. Yes. I kept you all. I'm the one doing all the talking. Nope. <laughs> nope. It's all good. It's all we good. Wanted to, we wanted to hear from you. And, 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 and let me just talk about Mr. Ellis and the family. Let me just talk about that since he just passed away, Hughes Van Ellis. Sure. Um, certainly our prayers are with the family, Mr. Hughes Van Ellis. Um, his sister, Ms. Viola Ford Fletcher at 109. Um, she's with us, Ms. Leslie Biddingfield Randall at 108. They were just at the Capitol last, 30, uh, last Thursday. She's still with us and descendants. And just prayers go out to the family. I want you to know that he had such um, uh, a zest for living. Um, he had such an energy and we, he absolutely inspires us even today to do right. And so that's the legacy that he has. And remember, again, World War II veteran, uh, fought for America, uh, the very America that, that did not love him as well as he loved it. Uh, yet he again died in his sleep. And uh, that says a lot to me about God's grace to the extent that, again, um, we got to keep pressing forward. I, I truly believe that in the court of higher opinion, uh, there's a, a greater judge and everybody's going to have to give an account. I'd rather we do it now on, on this time side. I'd rather we all get it right now because as, as long as we got life, we got a chance to get it right. Absolutely. Well, we're very grateful for your time this afternoon, Representative Goodwin. Um, we hope we can try and honor the legacy of your family and your ancestors, um, as well as the others that were, um, you know, impacted in the lasting effects of the Tulsa race massacre. So, um, you know, sign us up for whatever we can do. Uh, this is one thing. Um, and we hope we can translate words into actions sooner rather than later. So thank you so much for your time. And I hope we can talk to you again. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yep. Have a good day. Thanks for signing up. Thank you for listening to this episode of ObserverCast. If you like what you hear, please tell your friends about us and share our episodes far and wide on social media. If you're interested in sponsoring ObserverCast, please give Arnold Hamilton a call at 405-478-8700 or drop him an email at ahamilton at okobserver.org. You can also support ObserverCast with a tax-deductible donation to the Oklahoma Observer Democracy Foundation, whose mission is to help create a better, more informed Oklahoma. And to help keep us on the air, visit okobserver.org and click on the Donate button on the upper right side of the homepage. We also urge you to subscribe to the Oklahoma Observer, now in its 55th year of comforting the afflicted and afflicting the comfortable. We have a special digital subscription rate for ObserverCast listeners, only $1.99 a month for the first year. That's 50% off the usual rate for monthly digital subscribers. Just use the coupon code ObserverCast when checking out to get the discount rate. 
And finally, we want to thank Jared Deck for the music you're listening to in the background here. He's not just a resident of Norman anymore. He is now the Oklahoma State Representative for House District 44. Congratulations, Representative Deck. We're so proud of you. But you can still download his albums at iTunes and learn more, including dates for any upcoming performances at jareddeckmusic.com.